Hello and welcome to the ESG Fitness Podcast. The aim of this podcast is to help you think, learn and grow and hopefully smile and laugh on the way too. My aim here is to break down your barriers to taking action and provide you with evidence-based diet and exercise information in a fun and interesting way. I hope I nail that and I hope you enjoy. If at any point you are enjoying this and you think, wouldn't it be great to work with Emma? You can head to esgfitness.co.uk to find out more information. Without further ado, because I hate long introductions, here is this episode. Hello, everyone. I hope everyone's having lovely weeks. How are you both? Stunning. Really good, thank you. I'm stunning, darling. You are stunning. So, guys, before we came on air, we were just discussing another podcast, which was really interesting. And it was, I mean, what was it talking about exactly? It was talking about, I guess, addiction to an extent. Yeah. Um, It was talking about dopamine and um, how the pleasure and pain parts of your brain are both located in the same part so they're very closely related and um, this podcast was all about um, how we live in a world where like we're just constantly like dopamine driven so like scrolling on social media going on Netflix like doing all these things that can make us feel good so the the balance of pleasure and pain in our brain is way 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 off on one side of the spectrum so it's really imbalanced so we we're constantly uh, trying to get more pleasure more pleasure more pleasure and the things that would bring us pleasure don't anymore because the balance is off and um, so it's a bit like insulin sensitivity mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> that analogy <sighs> where like there's so much since or there's so much pleasure insulin whatever that you become less sensitive to the presence of it and then you don't respond in the same way and anyway her like this woman on the podcast her idea was that you should abstain from pleasure for a period of time so she was saying 30 days wasn't she yeah you should I don't know like take away these things that are giving you dopamine hits like social media or for some people like watching Netflix or you know whatever it might be for you and then when you reintroduce it, you'll get so much more pleasure from it. As mm-hmm. you well, you've said stuff like that in the podcast before. Um, with things like chocolate, like trying trying to have it less, trying to not have it for a while, so that then when you bring it back and you have it just once every so often, you really enjoy it so much more. Yeah, although we, I guess we normally talk about and how I see it in my life is like mm-hmm. I remember in lockdown where I only had one real coffee a week yeah. it was so much like tastier but I didn't feel like I had to abstain for 30 days in order to get that benefit whereas that was that was one of the core cool things that she was saying it was like you can't just reduce the amount you're having it there has to be this period to kind of reset and rebalance mm-hmm. whereas I found that not to be true and obviously it's different for different situations and things and that does seem like kind of quite extreme and can often for it like you know in the real world for a lot of people that can flip back the other way probably more so what I'm thinking about things like foods like people who cut out I don't know all the foods that they enjoy from their diet for 30 days then often binge on those foods when they reintroduce them yeah I don't think that would happen with like if you cut out Instagram for 30 days I don't think that you would binge on that afterwards no no definitely not no she's I think mostly talking about it in the context of social media or computer games um which I think like like people who are addicted to computer games they need to go cold turkey and then like you I think with things like that you don't feel the you see the benefit of not having it in your life and then you don't feel the need to introduce it back even just a little bit whereas like obviously food is completely different Mm. Yeah, I think food's hard, like generally, because you can't, you know, it's not even with like alcohol or something. It's like, well, I could cut that completely out of my life. Whereas with food, you have to find moderation. There's no other way around it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it, it is interesting. I, I, I was interesting. Like I wrote, I only wrote a tiny bit of notes here. And it just says, 
avoid pleasure and seek out pain to make you happier (laughs) she said that and I was like wait how do you do that but then she did say that a really good way to do that is exercise so exercise obviously has that like especially if you're pushing yourself hard like going for a run that has that sort of like pain aspect to it but then it also does bring dopamine so that's a really healthy way to readdress the balance she said then I suppose like people can over exercise Mm -hmm. you again can take that to an extreme can't you yeah Uh yeah well an interesting thought and concept anyway I don't know if I'll apply the 30 day thing I think what's quite important for more the behavioral side of things like if we're taking food as an example out of it that by 30 days you've you've kind of reset your life so if you were someone who was addicted to I don't know gaming all the time Mm. after 30 days like you've been forced to find something else to do with that time which is one maybe it's more enjoyable maybe it's not but you've restructured your life in that way like I remember this from being injured initially I was like what do people do with the two hours that I used to spend you know faffing or like either being at the gym or walking to the gym or, you know, the, the kind of fact that all is around exercise. I was like, what do people, like, what could I possibly do with this time? And then after a couple of weeks, you filled it with something. It's like, it's like when we worked at home and it, or when everyone used to commute all the time and now they don't, it's like, well, what do we do with this time that we used to use for commuting? And it just gets filled. Like it just happens, but it takes time to kind of find something else to do with that time. And then you, you look back and you're like, how on earth did I ever find time to actually go to the gym? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of um, my committed clients recently, we were chatting about social media and like the time that she spent scrolling through social media. Um, and she would like normally sit in the morning and have her coffee and maybe scroll. And she finds that she's like scrolled for about an hour and then that cuts down on her gym time later on. So practically she's like, well, actually I'm going to reduce my social media time in the morning to like 15 minutes. And it means that I can get to the gym earlier, like get on with my workout. And then she gets that benefit from changing that behavior. So, yeah. Yeah. It's most of us think that we don't have enough time, but it's usually that we don't have mm-hmm. enough focus and we haven't prioritized what we actually want to do. And we just fill that time with, I mean, I remember doing a post about this ages ago and it was like, it was a bit, I guess it was a bit tongue in cheek, but also like it, it's more to give people empowerment. It's not to shame people about how they're spending their time. It's like, you get to choose that. So if anyone's ever like, oh, I don't have time to exercise, that I'm sure it was when um, Love Island was on and everyone was watching that. And I'd be like, oh, like, did you see Love Island last night? Like, oh yeah, do you remember that so-and-so did whatever? And like, right, so you, you do have the time, but you're choosing not to. And that's so different. Like it's an empowered choice then to be like, I do have time to exercise, but I'm choosing these other things. And that's totally fine. There's no judgment there. We're never here to judge anyone. But it's a victim mentality to say, I physically can't do this. I don't have the time to do this. It's completely different mentality to be like, I'm choosing to spend my time doing this or doing X or doing Y. And I think the more and more that I read up about behavioral science, the more I realize that like, we think we're making these choices about how we spend our time or the decisions that we make. So much of it is just, we just kind of like blindly follow what the easiest path is and noticing that and knowing that, like, I guess hopefully opens people's eyes to be like, hey, what, what are the choices that I actually want to make rather than what have I been opted into or what's the easiest option that I'm kind of just following, which actually to kind of push back against that is fine for some decisions. And I'm reading a book now called Thinking Fast and Slow. And one of the points they make is that you have these kind of two areas of your brain, one where you react to things, where like you're subject to bias, where you're probably not very rational, but you need that part. Like it might seem like a negative, but you need that part to kind of get through life and get through the world. If you spent all your time overthinking every single decision, like the thinking slow part of your brain and really delving into that you'd move so slowly through life that you probably wouldn't be able to get through it and if you took in even if you look at your the way that our visual system works like we miss out a lot of information and we only take in what's important to us if we took in everything there'd be just this huge information overload and we wouldn't make any decisions so I think we often see what people term heuristics which are like mental shortcuts or biases as a negative but they're actually probably essential to how we get through life it's just knowing that they're there 
and knowing when they're not useful and knowing that when you're actually making a big important decision that like again you can use them to your advantage as well like what we see with um uh one study that looked at moving where diet coke was and compared to full fat coke on a menu meant that way more people ordered the diet coke which means that you're i think they saved like a third of the calorie consumption for people like from making one small change so if you know the way that people think and the biases that are made you can nudge people to the the behaviors that you want them to make and you can do that for yourself as well if you know that you're going to go for the easiest option you can kind of curate your environment to make sure that that easy option for you is the option that you want to take anyway interesting um okay there's a question here oh it's very long let me see okay a friend just got out of the priory for drug addiction <clears throat> he said that they were told to think about it like a man sitting on your shoulder constantly looking for an opportunity to convince you that it's okay to take some drugs the little man spends his whole time doing press-ups waiting for a <laughs> doing press-ups <laughs> waiting for a moment of weakness when he can convince you that's not even a type she says doing press-ups <laughs> so i guess even though you can't keep up sorry even though you can't give up food entirely it's quite relevant in a way in that I think of most of us in the group as having a little shoulder man saying you've had a stressful day um eat what you want or you're already over your calories so it doesn't matter or you haven't lost any weight so what's the point etc and when you need and when you need to do oh, oh sorry I think it's meant to say yeah and what you need to do is practice winning the argument with the little man so he doesn't bug you as much yeah I think we do all have that like little voice I don't know why he's doing press-ups but I like that addition that little, that little voice that's that's like trying to convince you and this is one of the reasons why it's so important to plan ahead and actually why it's so important to like commit 100% to those decisions because if you've I speak about this quite a lot the difference between committing 100% and 98% is that little man it's, it's your chance, like that 2% is you giving yourself the opportunity to convince yourself throughout the day. Yeah, but I mean, you did train two days ago. So do you really need to go to the gym tonight? Or like, oh, that, that is that thing. Or maybe you could go to the gym tomorrow. Or actually, you, you wouldn't have to eat that for dinner. Like you could have something else. And, and you're kind of just bargaining with yourself to, to change your mind about things. One, that's really fatiguing and takes up so much brain energy. And two, it, does, it gives you that opportunity to, to change your mind about things. Whereas if you commit 100% to something, the man isn't there. Like that little man, a good example of this, that, that little man isn't there for a vegan every single time they make a choice about food saying, are you sure that you actually want to eat? Like, you sure you don't want a sausage like a, or a bit of bacon or something? Like, no, because you've committed to that choice potentially years ago. And so the little man is dead now. He's gone. He's not doing push-ups anymore. There uh Kate's just saying I have no idea why he's doing press-ups <laughs> yeah so random but sure okay you guys said you had incredible questions chef's kiss yeah right, I'll so get up the thread as well between the two of us yeah that sounds like me, I'm, I'm gonna get up the thread okay um right <clears throat> is it true that if you've been emotionally eating for a long time five years it will take five years to rewire your mindset. Um, that's the kind of same logic as, um, you know, when you've been like going out with someone for 10 years. Oh, and it'll take double the, it, double the time to get over them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, why do people say that? I remember someone telling me that about, like when I was like, I thought it was half the time though. It was like, <laughs> it will take half the time of your relationship to get over them. <laughs> I was like, why? <laughs> um it, i don't know where that i think that might be that same logic but that logic as we've just discussed is bollocks isn't yeah. it yeah i even think the whole thing of like oh it takes 30 days to create a habit but i i think it, one it's so individual and mm. two it probably depends how hard that habit is like yeah. it's easy to create some habits it's really hard for others but what an awful um like self-fulfilling prophecy oh well you know it's going to take me 10 years to go over this but i'm only on commit to sex it's only six weeks 
yeah it totally takes like the power away from people doesn't it yeah like it depends how much effort you put into it as well yeah yeah it's, it's a fixed mindset about mindsets um but really what I said to this person is like every single day every single like hour is another opportunity to try and be a little bit better and, and improve your situation and I think with these things as well it's always a work in progress if you think of it as by this time I will be this much better then that again is fixed mindset about it every single day you're going to be a little bit better but then you're going to have little roadblocks and stumbles along the way but it's how you deal with those little stumbles is is the difference I also think that there's this narrative especially around relationship with food and things like emotional eating that you will be better fixed and you'll never have those like thoughts or feelings again. And I think that that's just like an unrealistic expectation. You'll just get better at not giving into them and you'll just have more tools to be like, okay, I feel emotional. I'm, I have the urge to overeat, but instead of doing that, I'm going to do this other thing because I know that makes me feel better long-term. And you have that ability to like surf the urge, sit with it or find another thing that makes you feel good. Um, but to think that those feelings will never go away. And we, we always give like way too much, I guess, like credit to our thoughts and feelings, thinking that they must mean something. Oh, well, if I want to emotionally eat, like that must mean that there's a reason behind it. And so much of life, like there isn't a reason behind it. I was having a chat with someone this morning and he was like, the day after I feel really hungry, I normally like end up, the, the scale weight normally ends up dropping like is there a is there any science behind that and I'm like it's absolutely coincidence there's no like anyone trying to make any logical sense of the scale over like day-to-day -day fluctuations like there is no rationale behind it like it just happens don't don't even waste brain energy trying to think oh is that because I was slightly hungrier yesterday or is that because of x y and z they could literally be anything and most of the time it's just chance and often what we do is we we relate like something to an occasion or like to like in hindsight we're like oh yeah like I remember being hungry and then the scale weight drops like but they have nothing to do with each other and it's probably happened a million times when you also weren't hungry the day before but you only remember those like two times it did seem to happen when you were hungry so yeah there's probably no no relation there I don't know how I got onto that from emotional eating <laughs> but we're here yeah okay, I, I have a question <clears throat> um I think we've answered oh no you've liked them Catherine if we've answered them is that right yes I think there's two it's the it's the last two that we've not that's, done that's genius okay Jess I have a very active hobby I do aerial acrobatics wow I don't typically count those as workouts but I do count them as training so right now I'm weekly doing three gym workouts of weightlifting, three aerial training sessions, and then a long daily walk to try and hit my step goals since I work from home. This usually means that I have one to two active sessions per day in the morning and in the evening. Is this okay? I heard no more than six workouts per week, but I do feel that probably isn't including cardio. This program helped me understand that I was probably overtraining for quite a long time because I would do gym workouts five to six days a week, higher intensity cardio sessions a couple, a couple of times a week, and then the aerial training on top of that. No wonder I was hungry all the time. <clears throat> yeah, I think what you're doing now is fine. I think probably what you were doing before was potentially ramping up your hunger, making it much harder for you to stick to your diet. But at the moment, I think you've got a great mm -hmm. little mix there. I think we, we spoke about this in Jess's check-in as well and totally agree. Like she's got a good routine going on and it's good that she's like dropped that volume down from what she used to do because it gives her body more time to recover we know that the exercise part of it is the stimulus for your muscle that's when you're like physically damaging the muscle fibers and then when you rest that's when your muscle your muscles repair and adapt and you get stronger and fitter that's when the magic happens <laughs> I think it's such a hard mindset to get out of because like actually and I know Catherine you were stuck in this as well and Shona I don't know if you were as well but I've definitely been in the place of training like six days a week sometimes double sessions and then knowing like I mean Catherine and I have both done sports science degrees like we know the science behind this like we literally have been taught this and the physiology behind it 
but yet still thinking I won't possibly be able to maintain like either the results I have or get better results by training less even though we know that that's what all the science would suggest and that's how things work and then when you kind of have to do it and prove to yourself that that is what happens and I haven't noticed like I've recently dropped my training volume massively because I really just don't have much motivation for the gym I think it's partly like my back but I'm not particularly stressed about it like I still hit at least three gym workouts a week they're short they're sharp I get them done it like it's completely fine I don't think I look any and I've been doing that for like maybe like two months now just waiting for the mojo to come back you know and I think like I mean that's a that's a good thing to to discuss as well like I think we you expect at least probably from at least like personal trainers and stuff that we're always always motivated and the truth is like we're not we all go through phases like this but the difference is like I will still tick the boxes like I still have non-negotiable of three workouts a week so at some point I'm sure that I'll be like oh I'm loving the gym again and then I'll increase to five mate or whatever but at the moment I'm just kind of ticking the boxes and I've noticed absolutely no difference and sometimes I'm like how little could I get away with and I think we really do underestimate I went and looked at some research on this as well, which is really encouraging, but underestimate the amount of volume that you have to do to maintain muscle, like not to grow, not to progress, but just to maintain where you are is way less than what you think. That's that's like, I've been feeling the same about the gym recently as well. Like I've not been motivated to go. Sorry, Shona. Um, <laughs> oh, sh- shook us. But I found, so I've been doing like home workouts, like 15, 20 minutes, and then going to the gym once a week. And I got um, a pull-up PB a few days ago. I was like, I don't know how I've managed this because like my training volume has dropped. But yeah, it's just another like example of- but Do you think that, that maybe you've been massively overtraining and now your yeah. body's like able Probably. to- Probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like, it, you've basically been tapering. Un- unintentionally for the last couple of weeks you've probably been tapering mm-hmm. that's a really good <clears> point, how many pull-ups did you do 11 wow that's, <laughs> that's impressive thanks thanks oh no i just lost the thread oh no it's okay because i've got oh, a question no. <laughs> okay okay cool. okay um this is from one of my one-to-ones are there people that just can't manage to achieve a plan I really don't understand myself sometimes. I have always managed to do a high power job, manage kids, etc. But why do I find sticking to a regular plan so hard? Even last week, I planned to do the check-in. And by the time I got around to thinking about it, it was Sunday. Is it because subconsciously I'm not prioritizing, avoiding? I can't work it out. Oh, this is a great question. And I mean, we I can only hypothesize what is going on because you'd need to delve a little bit deeper and I think one good thing for that like this is a great question for you to journal on yourself because only you have the answers here right we can just ask you the right questions and I think a good thing to do here is to delve like three times because you'll probably give yourself like a bit of a shit answer to start with and then it's like but why and then but why and and the same as if if you think that it's I don't know fear of failure that's a really good thing to delve into like if you're like okay I'm, I'm if it's fear of failure for whatever maybe not in this context but then you're like okay well what is it that I'm actually scared of if I fail and then thinking okay well what would happen if that happened and kind of like catastrophizing it and then realizing oh, I would still be okay like if the worst case scenario happened I would still deal with it because I do x y and z kind of reduces that fear I think in this situation potential I mean it could be so many things but one thing might be you haven't maybe linked why it's really important to you to something that is important to you so a lot of the time we see potentially other people's values like one might be I think that I should value health but you might be like it doesn't really motivate me like I know that it's important but it doesn't really motivate me okay well if you delve a little bit deeper into what does health mean to me okay well does health mean that I'll be there for my family longer or does that mean that I can go and run around with my kids or does that mean for me like freedom as I age so that I don't have to go into a nursing home like whatever that actually means is a tangible thing for you that gets you motivated enough to 
to tick off these boxes mm-hmm. that's what you need to get down into it's, it's no good just saying like to people what's your why and they're like oh I kind of want to fit into to this dress but I'm not that fast and I don't like I think where we what we find with a lot of people is like I don't hate the way I look but I want to look a little bit better and it's like that's not that's probably not a big enough why to drive you to do something so you need to figure out what it is that that's going to enable you to see the real benefits of the actions that you're taking yeah I totally agree because I've um I, I see that with with pregnant pregnant clients because your goal completely changes like most people will come to us with a goal like a fat loss goal or an aesthetic goal or, or something like that or even a strength goal like I want to do this in the gym and then when you become pregnant your why and your goal behind exercising like it, it becomes really hard to find and then what I like to do is just remind those clients all the physical health benefits of exercising and, and why all those things are really, really important. And they're just little habits that you do every day. And those will have such long-term benefits and all the great things that you're doing for your body and your baby. And it's just exactly the same for this person as well. Just reminding like why you're doing it. And it's not, it doesn't need to be groundbreaking. It's just things that will make you live longer and live a happier, healthier life. Okay, I have a question for you. And then I've got so one more thing on this. Mm-hmm. I think sometimes flipping it around and being like take the pressure off like well don't do it then like mm-hmm. what's what's the mass is there actually a massive difference to your life from doing it and not doing it like you're going to get all these benefits but sometimes we put up so much pressure on ourselves to do these things that we end up resenting it whereas mm-hmm. if you can just be like it's part of my life it's part of my grateful life and actually we see this a lot with diet like as soon as you take the pressure off sticking to a certain calorie number or I don't know eating x amount a day or something as soon as you take the pressure off you realize that actually sometimes you almost habitually do that and you're choosing to do it then because you're not forcing yourself to do it you're like okay actually I want to do these things so a lot of this is just the mindset around it and if you're telling yourself oh I am I'm, I don't know like the whole patience thing I'm waiting until x day or I'm waiting until I get these results to start living my life or I'm waiting until I fit in a size 10 to start wearing these clothes or doing these things or that's when I'll be happy that's why people get impatient whereas if you can just embrace living your life at the moment and also being in a slight deficit like there isn't really it shouldn't have to have this huge impact in your life you're like okay well you know I'm, li- I'm doing all the things that I want to do I'm doing all the things that I would be doing even if I wasn't quote unquote on a diet but I'm also creating a little bit of an energy deficit because I've got a little bit of fat that I want to lose that's how you should be approaching it. Um, and Shona, I have a question for you because I was thinking about this the other day after a chat with one of my friends who's just had a baby actually. And she was saying, she wasn't saying this directly, but in a roundabout way, she was saying that she really struggled to conceptualize a baby. Like it's very easy for like me to be like, well, you should have even more reason to eat well and exercise because you, you're growing a baby. That's amazing. But do you act like I think it, anyway what she was saying is like she couldn't really see it as a like a real thing until it was there and then she was like I felt so bad that I didn't you know make sure I was exercising the whole time or eat the exact right foods and that like now and again I'd have a glass of wine and then when he actually came and it was like a real thing mm. like that changed everything so I don't know if, do you ever find that with pregnant clients that they're yeah, like I, would, I get that but it like I can't see the thing yet I think that's really that's really normal um I think especially in the first trimester when you just feel absolutely rotten and um, a lot of people are so unwell that they can't exercise and they can't eat well and you don't have a bump and you're like why am I doing this life sucks um, but a lot of people that that feeling goes away as soon as you get like a bump or you get kicks or something like that but then again like your friend has said it's really hard to conceptualize and that's why um it's something that you say a lot um Emma is when you're when you're coaching these people you're coaching the individual you're not coaching these people as one blanket group and, and telling them how they will feel during their pregnancy and um, because everyone experiences it differently how ridiculous was the post in the group about um comments about being pregnant 
like you look huge or like just touching people's bumps and stuff like without being asked to be touched like you do think like what I don't think I'd ever thought about it in that sense like because I've never been pregnant and because I wouldn't go up and touch random people's bumps but like you're like yeah like people people do that and you're like you would never go up to someone who wasn't pregnant and just start patting their belly would you <laughs> or like a fat man's belly pat his yeah. belly you would never do that no, no. It, but then like Chloe said she loves that yeah and yeah. that's what I mean like people are so different and and I guess like as someone like speaking to pregnant people or whatever you, you should never be like oh my god you look massive it must be twins blah, blah, blah. like which are always kind of meant as I mean they're obviously not meant as uh negative comments or anything but I think any comment on the way that someone looks you never know how that's going to be interpreted to them or how they're feeling on that day or mm maybe yeah. even like some days they do like that they've got a bump and other days they feel really self-conscious about it and they feel huge and that's like again totally normal with hormonal yeah. fluctuations as well or even think- just telling someone that like oh you must be so excited like some like a lot of the time people are excited but sometimes that's not the feeling of the day and just like telling someone that they should be feeling excited all the time is like a lot of pressure it's not very fair do you think it's partly like those comments and those behaviors is because people don't know what to say or they like don't know what to do and they feel like a need to fill some sort of silence or like make some sort of comment I don't know <laughs> like if especially if they've not been through it as well if they've never been pregnant before I don't know well, yeah, yeah I think we all do it don't we yeah. we all we all like have probably put our foot in our mouth with, with something that we don't understand so oh yeah this is like again this kind of comes back to the difference between like fast and slow thinking like slow thinking you'd be like I wonder what this thing that I'm about to say is gonna mean for this individual I wonder how their headspace is I wonder if it could be interpreted in a negative way I wonder if it's helpful at all whereas like your fast response is oh there's some silence I should fill it with something and look she's pregnant so I'll just mention something about the fact that she's pregnant like it's it's certainly I don't think it comes from a negative place at all it's just oh it's almost like a a response like a inbuilt like reaction to silence around <laughs> it's, um, something to do with it's like a, a behavioral thing um like people have a common interest in this child because the child will one day grow up and be part of this group society so pe- that people are interested in the mother and interested in the baby and they want to comment on it and it, there is some sort of psychology behind it hmm. mm-hmm. okay Kelly <laughs> um I'm trying to get back into jogging to get fitter for the new football season I'm no Paula Radcliffe oh shame Paula. still waiting for the day Paula joins up to commit to six um so I'll only be doing about 5k runs Shall I still try and aim for 12K steps a day plus the run or reduce the steps a little? I would just include the run in the steps. So you don't need to worry about reducing the steps. Just just include your, your 12K in, yeah, 12K steps with your run in it. And then if you end up getting more because you're just generally active, that's fine. Right, who's okay. the one? Is it question? Is it mine? I think it's your turn, Shona. Right. Struggling with having quite a sore stomach. Now I'm having more protein. Is there any type of protein that is better than others? Having a lot of protein yogurts at the moment and then chicken. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to tell you what I wrote and then what actually happened to me. So I was like, I was thinking it is interesting that people always seem to blame the protein. Like when, when, commit to six starts we do always get a few people like oh i'm so bloated because of all this protein but when you start commit to six, a lot of things have actually changed like probably you're eating more fruit and veg if you have more fruit and veg in your diet it's taken up more volume in your stomach um you might have had some stress at work stress can make you feel bloated um just generally you're eating more voluminous foods things that just fill you up more it could be your time of the month and then also you could try varying your protein sources. Wait, actually. And then what happened was then I ate loads of protein yogurts and I got really bloated. <laughs> so I was like, okay, maybe it is the protein. 
But I actually think it might be that you need to vary your protein sources. So if you're getting your protein from three protein yogurts and a chicken, then maybe you need to a like chicken. <laughs> a whole chicken. One full chicken. <laughs> um yeah, maybe you need yeah. to a little bit there's lots of different protein sources that you can get but uh, do you agree with me people always seem to say mm-hmm. oh it's a protein oh i, I think a- they attribute like anything that so it might be like oh i feel i don't know anything like stressed or more tired or something it's like well could that be the fact that you've not slept all week or something like that, as opposed to any small it often happens maybe three days into a diet or something like I'm so tired it's like it's almost definitely not the diet (laughs) like there's plenty stored energy there it's not the diet it's probably the fact that you've had a really stressful week at work or you went out this weekend or you didn't sleep well last night Mm -hmm. so yeah I think it's easy to attribute any kind of feeling because you're probably and rightly so like you have more awareness and you're probably thinking more about how you feel and your digestion and everything else and you assume that that it's like a change in something um and it could be the protein so definitely (laughs) definitely try varying it uh yeah yeah totally agree I had um a question in my Instagram stories a few days ago and I think it was about like protein farts and someone was like oh I've recently like increased the amount of protein I've been having and like I'm getting a bit gassy so another like case of potentially blaming the protein when it could be a mixture yeah. of things <laughs> or maybe oh, you're just having fun. protein <laughs> never used to fart before oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, right okay katie two questions from me one opinions on alcohol i don't drink often but once read that alcohol stops you burning slash losing fat uh, in brackets implicitly for another reason than the calorie content is this true um, so it does blunt fat oxidation for a short period of time. That's not to say it stops you losing body fat in a calorie deficit. Nothing does that. So I wouldn't worry about that in moderation. Absolutely fine. If it's something that you enjoy, personal opinion, don't enjoy alcohol. That doesn't mean that it's not for everyone. Like, yeah. Thoughts? Jenna, have you started drinking again? Yeah. <laughs> not right not this baby right now I've got coffee um but I actually um gave up alcohol at the start of 2020 which was such a good idea for me because it just so happened that was the year of the pandemic and I could have been one of those people that drank a lot and I'm so because like so many people did it so yeah I gave up drinking all the way through 2020 and then got pregnant and then gave birth in June 2021. I thought a year and a half, half it, that's plenty. And uh, then got back on it. And now I found that nice balance. Good. Yeah. Catherine, do you drink? A little bit, but not much. Not very regularly. If I do, I'll have like one or two, but not very often. I don't really like the way it makes me feel, especially like the days afterwards. Yeah. Yeah, yeah agreed. Okay. Two, advice on snacking. I know, Emma, you advise to not eat between meals. I'm terrible for this and get ravenous around 4 p.m. no matter what I've had for lunch. This sometimes tips me over my calories. Any advice on this? So I don't blanket recommend that, but I don't eat between meals for various reasons. Um, If you always get hungry at 4 p.m., so the, the real problem with snacking is the mindlessness of it. If you're like, I always get hungry at 4 p.m., so I'm gonna plan to have a protein yogurt whatever you want right at 4 p.m that's fine like it's it's more that if you're just kind of grazing all day you kind of get what you've had and then your meals end up being really small if you want to fit into your calories blah 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 whereas actually you know having a planned snack if you especially if you've kind of identified roughly when you get hungry great yeah do that there's nothing inherently wrong with snacking it's just that we tend to just eat on the go and then we don't even process that we've had anything. I personally find that I am much more productive and my focus is better if I have gaps where I'm not eating. So like breakfast, lunch, dinner kind of thing. Um, But equally, if someone offered me half a protein bar, I'd probably still eat it. Like I'm not religious about it, but generally most of my structured days, like 
they don't include grazing throughout the day. All right, we're up to okay. date on the thread. Well, we've got plenty more. Am I going next? Is it me? Yep. Yeah. Um, committed client. Um, I think this is a myth or a misunderstanding of how muscle building actually works, but I've heard this several times over the years. Are there certain exercises that give your long give you long lean muscles versus bulky muscles? I know women typically bulk up like don't bulk up like men. I wish we did. But I was told that if I did reformer Pilates, I would develop long lean, less bulky muscles versus if I lifted weights. Will my genetics determine my shape or do I have any control over this? Thank you. Always Pilates teachers will say shit like that, isn't it? <laughs> bloody Pilates teachers or yoga teachers, long lean muscles, no such thing. Like there, there's not really, well, what's it, what was the other option? Long lean muscles versus? Um, like bulky. Bulky, yeah. There's no, there's no difference. No. Thank you. No, I mean, I think, do you think that sometimes it's, uh, how does this work? So like someone, because Pilates teachers tend to be long and lean, yeah. right? <laughs> and then, then they're like, this is how I got those muscles. It's like, no, you're, you were long and lean and maybe you were a dancer when you were younger and that's why you predisposed to being good at that and then you got into Pilates and that's why you're here but like it has nothing to do with the training that they're doing that might be why they have some muscle but it's certainly not why it looks long and lean you probably also notice that they're taller and have longer limbs shocking <laughs> truly shocking <laughs> but you don't that's just like it's just it's more to do with your genetics and your makeup than anything else mm -hmm. and you might yeah you might again like to do with genetics, you might find that there are certain muscle groups that you can grow faster than others, um, or you have to put more effort into certain areas of your body to see more muscle growth. And everybody's different in that sense. True that. Um, I've got another question about protein. I'm really interested in the science around protein goals. I can feel that it's working, but the geek in me wants to understand more why it is beneficial what would be different, for example, if I kept everything the same calorie steps workouts, but only had 50 grams of protein per day? What is happening in my body with 100 grams? Great question. So the way that you build muscle, in fact, maybe we start with your protein stores in your muscle are always in a constant state of flux. So there's muscle protein synthesis and muscle protein breakdown by resistance training you're stimulating more muscle protein synthesis but it needs the building blocks to build that protein which is what you're intaking from your diet so if you for example didn't take in enough protein then you wouldn't be able to build as much muscle and also you might find that you lose more muscle when dieting as well because when you're dieting you're in an overall what we call catabolic state so breakdown state and that means that your rates of muscle protein breakdown might exceed your rates of synthesis which means that you would lose muscle, which again, we don't want to happen. Um, so that's why we need to make sure that you're getting in enough protein to build uh, or at least maintain the amount of muscle that you have. Plus there's benefits in terms of satiety as well and not being hungry and actually being able to stick to your diet and your calorie allowance. I'm trying to think of an analogy, an analogy, an analogy for um, muscle protein synthesis and breakdown. I'm thinking of like, if you're like building a house with some bricks and you've got one person putting bricks on and then someone like keeps stealing them and taking them away, you need to then be able to bring in fresh bricks to put back on the house again for the person who's building. Yeah, this is it. like a lot of people use that. Or I think I've heard one that's like uh, someone trying to build a wall, but like one builder, yeah, like knocking the wall down and the other one putting mm -hmm. it up. And the, you, the, there's this constant flux of that happening. So yeah, I guess hopefully you can kind of think of it like that. Yeah, yeah. Who's who's got next question? Um, is it me? Yeah. Um, or is it is it Shona? No, it's you. Um, IUDs. Would I see fluctuations with weight even though I don't have a period with an IUD? Um. Oh, that. Hmm probably yeah because you still have some fluctuations in your hormones 
Um, and then you'd have all those normal fluctuations as well. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. You'd, yeah. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. You'd absolutely yeah. have fluctuations. Like men have weight fluctuations as well. <laughs> it's just, I was just thinking, would you still have hormonal fluctuations? And yeah, you probably still would, but probably to a lesser extent. And equally, you can't define what is and isn't a hormonal fluctuation. And some people will and some people won't. Like if you're someone who's on any kind of contraception and you still like experience some kind of PMS symptoms or you kind of notice that with your mood changing or maybe hunger changing or slight period pains or weight fluctuations then you do experience them and if you don't then you don't experience them like I know that's not very scientific but I think we often get questions like this and it, it's like well if you experience them then yes they are real because <laughs> they're happening if you notice that at a certain time of every single month you're noticing these same behaviors or these same feelings or patterns or weight fluctuations then yeah they are happening but with contraception there'll there'll be less fluctuations than normal but it, it would depend again on what contraception you're on I think a lot of the studies will look at changes in weight but over longer periods of time so they'll look at it over like a period of months as well won't they rather than like fluctuations over a period of days um and then even then the evidence is pretty mixed when it comes to that do you know what's mental though is i was looking into this the other day uh, like we see this from a practical level all the time like hormonal weight fluctuations both in ourselves and with clients but when you look at the research it actually doesn't really there's not really much evidence to show that you're heavier at certain times of the month or not and i don't know if it's because it's so individual like yes most women probably experience two kind of little fluctuation peaks at week two and week four or whatever however you want to measure that um but because it's so individual when you look at it like on a grand scheme you kind of don't see the same patterns as well like it seems to be really really minimal if you're looking at averages but again when you're looking at averages you know that there could be one person who has no effect one person who has a huge effect when you average it out it looks like a small effect so I guess there's pros and cons to to looking at the research but we certainly know from client experience and I guess personal experience that it's usually kind of the week before that you would see most weight fluctuations ow what'd you do just check my hand um Emma's just saying I have Implanon. Uh, interested to know this too. I think that I do. It's funny as I can pretty much tell that I would be like on my period, even though I don't have them. Yeah, I think that's really normal. Uh, yeah. I wonder what would happen if you tracked your cycle, like if you'd still see vaguely changes in temperature that would tell you when your period would be. Don't know. You could try yeah. that. There's an experiment for you. Huh? Do either of you guys track your temperature in your cycle? No. No, me neither. (laughs) Damn it. Um, I feel like I might, but I I don't know. I'm quite in tune with my body. I kind of know anyway without tracking everything. I kind of think, I'm like, what would the benefit be to knowing that? Mm -hmm. Oh, um, I forgot to tell you this, Emma. I have a new client who is a sexual health doctor and she's so sassy as well. She's hilarious. And she says that people all the time say, I want a contraception, a natural form of contraception. What's your most natural form of contraception? And she says, pregnancy. (laughs) Oh, I thought you were going to say, and she says, being gay. (laughs) That one was it works really well for me actually yeah. not getting pregnant so far yeah 100% you must get stuff like that all the time yeah uh, I guess like using your cycle is the most natural but quite worrying yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah have you listened to Amelia's new podcast yet I have I did yesterday because you said it made you cry it's amazing it's so it's empowering don't you think yeah yeah like I just think it's so exciting if anyone doesn't know what it's about it's called single mother by choice it's about her what would you call it IVF journey yeah yeah it's good it's really good it's really exciting as well Mm -hmm. 
And obviously I get a mention, so. <laughs> Emma was winding her mum up that she is like co-parenting this yeah. baby. Yeah, I was speaking to my mum and she was like, oh, didn't she made some comment and I was like, well, I'll be there. Maybe it's mine. And then and she was like, what? So you're like, you're doing it together. And I was like, yeah. And this went on for maybe, I think I held that going for like 20 minutes. I was like, look, we'll speak about it at some point, but that's what I want to do. <laughs> and then we were arguing about something else. I was like, I'm just going to get out of the car. And so I walked further than I had to walk. We barely ever argued. That was quite a, I obviously felt very strongly about that. Yeah. The only thing is like, you know how we were talking about licking logur- uh, yogurt lids? <laughs> be the ick, right? But also so does the thought and the word sperm. And that word is in episode two quite a lot. So if you're triggered by the word sperm, just a heads up. I'm not. I find it's so funny that when you could so show in a bit in the group chat, there's nothing worse than when someone licks a, a, a yogurt lick a lid as if like that's like the biggest like the biggest turnoff ever. I don't know if I feel like that. I think it might be quite well. Then I started Googling women licking lids. And it was it's a great time for me. Yeah, well, maybe um, I would like a woman licking a lid, but it was Paul licking the lid, and I was, I was like, you need to leave the room right now. <laughs> it totally depends on like how they lick the lid as well. Or right? you was going to town. There was not one single iota of yogurt left on that lid. But you had a really bad childhood experience, Mel. I did. <laughs> really bad, but it was just like a really. Like it, it changed me and my opinion of yogurt lids. What happened? What did? Do I not? <laughs> I remember this so vividly. So you're like, <laughs> yeah, is someone? What? All oh, right, you tell it. So I was I in like primary one. I was really young, and I wanted like the the classroom assistant to help me take the lid off my yogurt. <laughs> I was like incapable of doing it myself for some reason, and she peeled it off, and she was so disgusted. She was like like that peeling it off and then handed it to me as if like well that's disgusting now you eat it but it just stayed with me and now I can't really be in the same room as a yogurt lid like if someone takes a yogurt lid off it has to go straight in the bin it can't sit near me and god if someone licks it oh, I'm gonna get a yogurt this weekend at breakfast yes. <laughs> might bring it to Bring it to the conference. I sent you a picture of my yogurt lid the other day. Sure enough. Oh, yeah, you did. Mm -hmm. Oh, that that was a different yogurt lid. (laughs) So many yogurt lids. And I say yogurt. Yeah, I don't know how I feel about the word yogurt. Well, because you pure English. Pure English. Okay, right. Well, that was lovely and great, great questions. And I hope everyone has enjoyed And we will be back shortly with more talk of health, fitness and yogurt lids. Thank you as ever for your time and attention. If you want to talk to me about coaching or if you want to find out more about how to work with me, head over to esgfitness.co.uk. There is also lots of free information on the website and some worksheets, which I hope you will find useful. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love to hear from you. Please tag me in your stories at ESG Fitness or shoot me a message. And if you think you know anyone who would enjoy this episode, why not share it with them? Thanks, guys.